Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Yeah, yeah, there is no process. The process is sit in a burning building, try to put the fire out for a whole year, accept its shit, and send it off. Good day, good people. My name is Brad King, and this is the Downtown Riders Jam Podcast, which is part of the Solid Listen Podcast Network. It's just me coming from you deep inside the jam bunker after what has been a rather long hiatus. If you didn't get the update, uh, in January, right after Max passed, a month or so later, my father was diagnosed with terminal pancreatic cancer. So, uh, we shut things down a little bit. He lives back in Cincinnati, and I was back there with my mom and my sisters over his last few months, and it didn't really feel like uh, I should be trying to broadcast from hospice. That felt like a bad idea. So, I took a little time away. Appreciate all the kind notes and emails that everybody sent. Um, Dad passed April 11th, I think, Um, surrounded by everybody was about as good as you can make that kind of thing. We were very happy to get 77 days with him. Most of those days were good. Um, If you know anything about pancreatic cancer, it's a a real shit. So we were happy that most of those days were good. And, you know, I had some time to think. Dad loved this program. I think I'm his son, so he was that kind of guy. Uh, But he also was just fascinated with people. And so getting to sit and listen to me talk to fascinating writers from around the world was something that he really enjoyed and um he would oftentimes email me or text never right after the show aired because he didn't want to be that guy uh but you know casually he'd bring up in conversations all kinds of stuff and so i also needed a couple about a month there so after he passed sort of get myself together because i didn't know how i'd feel sitting in front of the mic knowing that i'm not going to get those texts anymore or those emails or those conversations but he loved the show. I love the show. We're really happy to be back. Um, I have a bunch of interviews in the can. I had done a bunch in October and November uh, and December going into the new year. So we'll be airing those before we get to some of the new ones. Uh, today, it's super. I just listened to this show. It's the first time I've listened to the program in six months. Uh, Jillian McAllister is on the show. She's a best-selling crime author. Um, when I interviewed her, Her book, That Night, was out in the UK and just getting ready to head to the United States. Uh, I've been gone so long that her next book is just came out in May in the UK. Wrong place, wrong time. Uh, And it's coming to America in August. You can, if you are in the US or Canada, do what I do. You can order from Waterstones or someplace overseas so you don't have to wait. Uh, But it's uh, been so long that uh, she got two books. So uh, keep that in mind while you listen. Before we get to that interview... Just a couple things. So we're going to be back every Wednesday. The Jam is here every Wednesday like it always has been. We'll be cranking those shows out. So tell your friends about us and leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts. Um, If you don't listen to Apple, head on over to Facebook. Leave us a review there. Or you can go to thewritersjam.com, the website where all this stuff is, and leave us a testimonial through the contact page. We got a couple new programs that we're going to do as well, these short-form programs. The first one is called Jam Sessions, and that's for nonfiction books. You know, I was thinking, you know, I've had six months to sort of sit around and think, and this show is great. I love the hour-long format. I'm never going to stop doing that. This is the bread and butter. But there's some really interesting nonfiction books that are out there that I think 
require more of a like a journalism interview, a, a journalism conversation, right? Like I'm never going to interview people the way regular people interview them, but where we can really take a deep dive into like one particular topic. The other one is called the after party, and that one's going to be more of a weird hybrid Q&A kind of thing uh, that I hope you'll tune in for. And that's for fiction writers and people we've had on the program before. Um, it's sort of a conversation a Q&A. So those two will be hitting the airwaves right here where you listen to podcasts. Um, it, if you go to writersjam.com, all of it will be there. You can also click on the bookshop link, buy any of the books of people in the program, check out book reviews, and I swear to God, I am going to finally start sending out this newsletter. I promise. I promise on Max's brave. Uh, that's going to start happening. So get your ass signed up for that thing, too. Don't forget, you can support the entire Solid Listen network. Molly and Nicole have built this thing out. It's amazing. Uh, been featured on Apple. It's just a fun network of kind people. Like, I tell folks, this is like a kind, nice place on the internet. So go check out the Solid Listen shows. On, the, on our website, you can click on the Patreon button. For just a couple bucks a month, you get some commercial-free episodes, special happy hours, bonus content, all kind of stuff. Uh, I think I'll be on the Mother May I Sleep With podcast uh, later on this year. That'll be fun. I love Molly. Um, we always have a good time when we chat. So I appreciate you sticking around. I've seen the downloads. Like people are still listening to the show even when we were gone. So that, I'm assuming that means you're digging into the rather substantial archives. And I appreciate that. Like any time you can spend with us is I I. It's a long, it's a commitment, an hour's a commitment, and I appreciate you guys doing that. And I'm looking forward to having conversations with more authors and all of that. Uh, I hope your day is going well and you're taking care of yourself and each other. I hope that things are going as well as they can for you. And I hope right now you will sit back and enjoy my conversation with Jillian McAllister. I live in uh, Worcestershire in the UK, oh, yeah. um, which is a couple of miles, a couple of hours north of London. Yeah. Uh, so I live out in the sticks. Yeah, um, yeah. How close so are you I, to Northampton? Uh, probably an hour north. Yeah, that's um, my, a, a woman I grew up with in this little town of 5,000 people lives there. Oh, I see. Yeah, I've been I up there. there. Yeah. Wow, how funny. Yeah, yeah. I don't ever expect uh, people to know anything other than London. Yeah, no, uh, I, like I've traveled all through the middle of the country. Like, you know, uh, yeah. uh, my friend lived in Sheffield and like I've been sort of right. all. Yeah, I know where you yeah, are. Funny. Yeah, so yeah, Worcestershire. So yeah, we live on a track road in a cottage uh, with a dog. Well, you know, the first time I went to Northampton, it was one of those like, because everybody's just in like, I mean, you're sort of living in the middle of nowhere, but there's these mm. little like houses and little gardens. And it was like, I was like, oh shit, this is like every goddamn movie you see about the that the not London part of. Yeah, even like, it's like the holiday, isn't it? Like, yeah. you know, where she goes to the snowy cottage. Yeah. Even Northampton sounds a bit made up, I think. Like, Yeah. And then there's a Northampton Shire. And I'm like, that even feels like, like, how is <laughs> yeah. there a smaller thing than Northampton? <laughs> I know. I know. It makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. But it really is the sort of England of like literature. Yeah, like the, the green jewel of Shakespeare that is, you know, <laughs> yeah. with rolling hills and the lot, yeah. Yeah, my <laughs> friend Cats up in Sheffield took me on a walkabout, and I'm like, the fuck is a walkabout? And, like, we spent, like, four hours, like, walking through people's yards, and I'm like, England's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you can go, like, public right of way through a sheep field, and then there's just a house in the middle of it, yeah. I got a picture of me standing next to a bull, and I was like, I'm not really sure I want to go through here and she's like i'm sure the bull is fine and i'm like this is not america yeah <laughs> yeah in america the bull would have a gun <laughs> yeah well or somebody would shoot me for being on their yard yeah yeah unless the bull would have been trained to attack me and they would have had a shotgun yeah. like well now we get to kill this guy yeah no yeah that, no such thing in, in Northampton yeah. Shire. yeah. <laughs> no, no it was quite lovely uh so uh is that where you're originally from no, so I'm from uh, probably an hour north of here, um, just north of Birmingham. Oh, um, yeah, been yeah. there too. Yeah, well, I went, so I went to the University of Birmingham. That's where I studied. Um, what was the name I of the said, town you grew up in? Tamworth. Okay, well, now we've, yeah, now we've exited my, yeah, we've exited, yeah. very small. 
Uh, yeah, it's small and um, yeah, quite. It has a it has a ski slope. That's the most famous part of it. It has like a snow dome. One. It's got one slope. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, because yeah. you called it the ski slope. Thing in the UK because <laughs> we don't really do that. So um, we don't have mountains and stuff really. So yeah, now nah. uh, only child or do you have brothers and sisters? Uh, one older sister. How much older? Uh, four and a half years. Okay, so this is interesting. Minus five. Were you guys close or were you far enough away in age that you sort of didn't do stuff? Yeah, I think the latter. I yeah. think my I mean, she's a doctor. Um, she's a pediatrician. And she was always quite mature and driven. And I was always fairly... I mean, this is sort of my family story, so I'm not <laughs> sure how much of it's true. But yeah. I was always the creative dreamer. Um, you know, classic younger child, older child archetypes, yeah. I would say. And yet you became so, a lawyer. Yeah, I did. I So I did an English undergrad. Yeah. Well, we'll get there in a minute. Like, I just think it's funny that you're like, I was the creative one who became a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, well, this is the thing. It's kind of like when you start to unpick the stuff said about you in yeah. your family. It's kind of like, was I not academic, though? <laughs> like, cause like you say, became a practicing lawyer for years. So, yeah. Um, yeah it's yeah interesting. i think it's uh, so what did your mom and dad do what, what 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 did they do so my um mom is a teacher but sort of like private tuition mm-hmm. um and my dad was a project manager in it but he is now a driving instructor interesting at the school yes. where your mom teaches uh well she teaches like one-on-one so people that need extra tuition that's what she does um she I think she's just retired now so um yeah she kind of did like here there's like an 11 plus exam to get into some schools and she kind of kept children for that gotcha gotcha and so what were you and your sister like growing up um interesting question I think (laughs) I was I think I was probably quite a lonely child because I had vast amounts of imaginary friends. And um, somebody once said to me that you can tell uh, what kind of conditions somebody grew up in, not from their memories, but from what it forged. And I think I was a person that, I think I my culture is quite different to my family. They're very cerebral and kind of factual. Um, I would say so what matters to them is what's right and I was always what's much right yeah in quotes yeah. we're putting those in quotes yeah. <laughs> yeah um yeah and I would say I was much more sort of broad-minded than that um so yeah my sister I would say she's a pretty dominant personality um quite forthright and driven and ambitious even as a young child um and I think I was kind of in the shadow of that maybe she she was a kind of a prodigy like she could read when she was 18 months um which is quite a big thing in my family it's said a lot <laughs> <laughs> which doesn't leave any long-term damage at all <laughs> no for sure it's never come up in therapy at all <laughs> This is why I love doing these interviews. I'm like, yeah, there's always, doesn't matter how you try not to do it, right? Because I'm sure your parents are like, we were just proud. We're proud of you for a different way. And you're like, the only thing I heard was that. Yeah, I think it's like that thing of something cannot be a trauma to an adult, but it can be a trauma to a child. Yeah. Like trauma isn't, you know, being strapped in a basement or whatever necessarily yeah it's, like, it's also being strapped in a basement yeah, <laughs> yeah. yes exactly yeah. you know going stop that that you're yeah. not supposed to do that that is a trauma to a child it's sometimes the hardest thing I had to learn like I would tell stuff to my therapist that happened to me and I'd be like hey you know just whatever and she's like uh yeah, yeah. that's that's not normal and I'm like I, I mean yeah. the fuck do you mean but like as a kid everything's normal yeah Yeah, and that's, and I always, I think when you're a child, especially when you were self-aware, I always feel like, oh yeah, but I could handle that. Sure. Actually, you can't, um, because you're looking at it as an adult now, Right. uh, but it didn't go in through the adult mind. Yeah. It's really weird to like, we do a lot of that stuff. I mean, I'm sure you do too. Like a lot of that, like, well, what would you tell young Brad? Like, you know, don't take any shit. 
And it was like, yeah. okay, like it's okay to feel that way. And like, it's okay to have some resentment about that stuff. Yeah, you like know. nobody, nobody does a good job of it. And I find that yeah. a confusing fact to accept, really, that all parents fuck their kids up on some level. I mean, how do you not, right? Because they're another sentient human being and you're trying to control them. And I don't mean control in a bad way, but like you're trying to make them not get hit by a car. You're trying to make yeah. them not eat a poison mushroom. Like you are operating, whether even if you're a very great parent, you're operating out of a sense of, I don't want a bad thing to happen to you. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, mean, which is like, it's a threat response, really. And you don't always, you know, when you go, don't run in the road, like that can still damage a child. Yeah. yeah. Or if you're like, you know, it's funny, like, uh, they may, and I look, I don't know your parents, I don't know any of your life, but like, they may say, oh, she could read at 18. And they may say, and she's so creative, but you will always hear those as comp competing things. Like, yeah. why am I not that? Instead of like, we are not naturally inclined to take the best case scenario. I think we are inclined to take the worst case scenario. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think that's right. I think it's like you remember your one star reviews right? and I'll skim the five, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I always tell my girlfriend, cause you know, she'll like, I will sort of jokingly say things when she's like, you're funny. And I'm like, and I'm handsome and charming. And she's like, and you're humble. I'm like, I decided a long time ago to not be falsely humble about not that I am like handsome and charming, but like, I, I, I don't feel like it's, it is an, it, I don't feel like it's a good thing to be falsely humble about stuff because yeah. even that is saying, Oh, you've said a positive thing. Let me say a negative thing about me now. Like, no, yeah. I couldn't. I'm like, no, no, no. Like we should all we need to do that. Yeah. yeah. Like there needs to be a balance, right? You don't want to be all in. I'm like, I am the best thing ever, but yeah. a compliment shouldn't make you curl up in a ball, which it makes most people do. You don't believe yeah. it. Yeah. You know, I was talking about this with my friend who she's a writer and she really has she imposter syndrome. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she really kind of doesn't feel like she's any good at it, which to be honest is not, I'm a very anxious person, but I don't actually suffer from that particular complaint good for you. Well, yeah. I mean, I have raging other anxiety. Yeah, yeah. That's why I only congratulate. <laughs> but see, you just did the thing. I said, yeah, good for you. Good. And you're like, here, no, but here's other negative things, Brad. I'm like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. There is inaction. But um, we were talking about how she feels shame if she says, I wrote a really good book. And I said to her, like, you know, if you met Brad Pitt and you said, how are you feeling about your next role? And he was kind of like, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing. You'd find that really weird. Yeah. Because he's an experienced actor. He'd actually be like, yeah, I feel pretty good about it. And it's kind of like trying to get rid of that shame and yeah. that need to kind of internalize stuff and do yourself down. Yeah, it's I tell people all the time, like it, it, it is OK to be humble. It is not OK to be falsely humble. Like and it's OK yeah. to know, like I always tell people, like, I know I'm a good writer. I am not a great writer. I am not a transcendent writer. Like I've had a career. I know where I fit in the writing world. Mm. And I will tell if you're not a writer, I'm better than you. I'm a better mm -hmm. writer than you if you're not a writer. I just yeah. am. But when I talk to Janelle Brown, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, no, no I'm not a better writer than her. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You know, like, I, like I, I think know. that's like a factual assessment, really, isn't it? Yeah, and like, that doesn't mean somebody might read my thing and be like, well, I like this better than hers. And I'm like, that's a great opinion. But objectively, yeah. she does the stuff of writing better than me. Mm. You know what mm. I mean? And like, I, again, that's that self-actualized stuff that we, and I, particularly girls, who turn into women are told to never have any of that stuff, yeah. right? Like ever. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is such a thing in the female psyche, I think. Almost <laughs> yeah. like, as well as sort of martyring. Well, because you, know? you can't make me feel uncomfortable. Don't, yeah. don't make them. I mean, for lots of structural patriarchal reasons, right? Like yeah. don't demean him. Like somehow my manhood is dependent upon you, like arbitrarily just deciding to be less than me, right? Like, Anyway, yeah. that's, but I, that's, I think, part of that. So, like, as a kid, you were sort of creative. Were you, like, outside a lot? Were you one of those people that were, like, making shit up out in the woods and in the backyard? Like, I had a completely alternate life that I led in my head. So, like, I would pretend I lived in an apartment in California, and it was my bedroom, and I would swipe myself in with a fake card, like, to my apartment, 
and I pretended I worked in an office like I joined a dance tour company all all fake and I had this like parallel life running alongside going to school and you know now I monetize this imagination but I I almost have memories of the fake life and the real life and I, I can tell them apart because I'm not crazy but they're almost as vivid as each other so why California like where did that come from what's that all about I mean, I read a lot of American books and I watched a lot of American stuff. And I think it was, I think probably for me, I think it was sort of like the American dream, kind of like, you know, a perfect family living in a perfect stucco Californian house. Mm -hmm. I think it was probably that. Uh, looking back so you were in LA and you're you were in Southern yeah. California and you're I, I know and every day yeah. I was like yeah. the weather's really bad today for LA like because yeah. it was like fucking raining because it's sure because if it's a stucco yeah. house it ain't San Francisco because I live there I'm like exactly. no that is an yeah. LA San Diego thing or Venice yeah. you're in Venice <laughs> yeah yeah my uh, I guess my 10 year old me didn't have so much good architecture <laughs> well San Francisco is a little bit like England anyway it's kind of rainy and yeah, shit like that like you, you were in Southern California weather. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's real. it's so fascinating because I sort of had that same kind of thing really oh yeah I played detective all the time like I would play oh. Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew I mean sometimes with my friends but a lot of times with me yeah, um, yeah, like just myself, like in my room, my parents finished our basement. And when I got this in television, which was an early like home gaming system, you could it didn't have two one. You had to have two players. I learned to play with both hands. I would play against myself and then hold wow. like press conferences and stuff afterwards that I'd record. So I literally would wow. do this whole like thing of like oh because well, we lived in a town of like five thousand people i lived in a neighborhood with 13 families like yeah gotta make your own fun yeah i would read what do you and think then was I, the purpose of it for you i have never felt like i fit into this world mm. from the time i was a kid i just mm. i've told people like and even in my adult life when i'm when i'm in the bureaucracy of the world I am a round peg and the world is a I square. I said, I, you know, if I ever get a letter inviting me to do something in any kind of system, I just, even an eye test, I just think I'm not for this. I don't like it. I'm like anti-establishment. I think yeah. I don't, I don't know why it's like, yeah. it makes me want to rebel and like go and live off grid or something just so I don't have to go to the optician, <laughs> like ridiculous. So we're both weird. We're both making stuff up. Uh, do you remember yeah. like the first time like do you remember like did you have like recurring like you had the california life like did you just like revisit it every day or was it like a like how did it have i'm fascinated by this <laughs> yeah it was like it was like a multiverse i would say so i had to go to school and stuff but i pretended it was ucla <laughs> <laughs> really weird I'm not sure I've ever talked about this in the public domain my publicist is like falling off a chair somewhere as I like decimate my reputation look if it means um, anything like I have this happen on this show all the time people okay. are like why am I telling you this I'm like yes. yes yeah so like yeah I suppose I would have like various phases so I would go through a phase where I pretended when I was doing my homework in my house that I was in an office job and I was yes working yes um and then I I had like I I did ballet quite seriously but I pretended that that was like an actual ballet school that I lived at so it's kind of like faction you know yeah. like sometimes like an approximation of reality yeah. it was Harry Potter only with ballet yeah in Los much. Angeles yeah exactly <laughs> but for, for no reason that I can really yeah grasp but yeah that was about it yeah I don't think that I knew it was a career <laughs> because I was sort of brought up on quite old-fashioned fiction, really. And I remember when I was 18, I started to read what would be called women's fiction. Yeah. I was like, oh, there are people who aren't writing kind of classics or literary fiction. They're writing about women who live in London who go on dates or whatever. And, yeah. And that was a real moment for me that I realised you could be a writer in a different way. Yeah. But even then, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I'm working class, but I wouldn't say that I'm middle class. I, sure. I'm somewhere in the middle, I would say, but I always had to earn a living. So I couldn't just be like, I'm going to be a novelist when I was 20 and finished yeah. university. It doesn't yeah. really work like that. And I didn't really know how, how to do that, really. 
Yeah. I mean, I think we were probably lower middle class, upper working. Yeah. You know, my dad worked in insurance. So yeah. it wasn't, but like my uncles all worked with their hands. They were mechanics and foremen and we lived in a neighborhood with them. My friends called me the professor growing up and it was not a compliment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that in a way that adds to the feeling of displacement because I didn't really fit in with that sort of blue collar crowd. Yeah. They would think that I was really posh. Yeah. Like people at my school thought it was posh because I went to quite a rough school but then actual posh people thought that yeah. I was common. And it's kind of that middle ground, like, yeah. that's strange. Yeah, and being from like a completely different culture, I think helps. Like, I don't know what what class your accent is because I can't understand it. So- <laughs> Very think, low, very yeah, low. But yeah, it's like, and I guess vice versa. And I yeah. think that you lose those tells when, yeah. when you're from a different country. So we're gonna take a quick break. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about getting out of high school and like the beginning of the sort of journey to where you're going. Yeah. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta. And I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. And you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so uh, that was the most meandering first half of a show we've done in a while, which was fantastic. And the sad part is we had a great 15-minute conversation before we even started recording. <laughs> so, um, so once you finish high school, and, you know, you come from this family, it's sort of small town, family, IT, like sisters reading at a young age. You're the sort of creative one. What's the plan once you get to university? Yeah, I think I, I didn't really have one, I think is the honest answer, <laughs> which I think is probably quite clear um, because I just was like, I like reading. I'll go and read uh, for three. I'll pay, you know. 40,000 pounds to go and read a year, etc. No, in all Total. in, I, I think yeah. that's about, yeah. Okay. And this um, was the university of Birmingham. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I, I didn't much enjoy it actually, because I, I really like to read commercial fiction. <laughs> so I don't actually really want to read Jeffrey Chaucer. Um, you <laughs> oh, know, the wife right? of Bath is good though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like that's it's the one good, but it's long <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's one whenever people are like you know their person is from the time and place and i'm like maybe but jeffrey chaucer also wrote a book called the wife of bath which is fairly progressive for the time and place yeah he, it's true he was a progressive um that but, one was that yeah. individual story <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, probably still not um, sort of bedtime, you know, no. scintillating no. reading. Um, <laughs> so I was quite bored, I think, and I didn't really write uh, because I felt I, I had quite a big sort of complex about writing something worthwhile. 
And then I um was this an I English got, degree or a writing degree? English. Yeah. Oh, see, so, and people don't know, you don't know at that know. age that those are different degrees that do yeah, different like, things. Honestly, I thought it was reading and writing, and it was yeah. just reading. Yeah, I know. The division um, in the academy between those two could not be any further apart. Yeah. Yeah. The English this people think like, the writers are fucking chumps. Yeah. And I don't really think you need to go and read Dickens to know how to write a novel. Like, I'm certainly not making these illusions in my work. Um, so my readers would be bored shitless if I did, I think. You don't so, have a best of times, worst of times. No, beginning. exactly. Yeah. 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 Just, just a nod to Alexander yeah. Pope every now and again in my thrillers. Yeah. yeah. I think um, I, st I started my latest book, which is a languishing that, that is, uh, it was a take on Marley was dead to begin. I'm like, I mean, that's a pretty good start to a book. That is a good, yeah, yeah, that is good. And it's got a yeah. colon. I'm like, that motherfucker started with a colon in the first sentence. Yeah. Marty was dead, colon, to begin. Yeah. <laughs> but that yeah, I good. could, yeah, but I didn't have to get past that to be like, okay, I got everything I needed from this book. I mean, yeah, like they, they weren't so good on pace. Uh, the uh, No, I watched the Muppet Christmas Carol. I got it. Well, yeah, I mean, that will teach you as much about how to structure a story, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, I did an English degree and in a complete panic in my final year was like, what am I going to do? I had a blog that I wrote a lot. Um, it was that time. Tumblr or a blog? A like an actual, it was um, blog, Blogspot. Oh, like okay. Blogger. Old school. First time. Yeah, like I I'm quite old. Yeah. <laughs> but still younger than me, just to be clear. <laughs> um and yeah so I sort of did a land grab for uh you know meaning and converted to law and here you can you can do a law degree in a year yeah uh as a conversion course so that is what I did um and then and then did you have to do it and there like two or three years that you have to do after that yeah so you do one year and then you do an LPC which yeah. is sort of a practical year and then you do a two-year on the job yeah kind of like See? a junior doctor kind of yeah. thing yeah well, I've interviewed know. enough of you lawyers over there that I now know how legal shit happens in England. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, you study a lot less than you would think. Yeah. Um, so were you, I, like, when you did that, because in America, if you're going to become a lawyer, one of the degrees they tell you to get is English because it's all about words. It's all about words. You have to yeah. know how to use and manipulate the language. Yeah. Do yeah, you think I that think you gravitated so. there because of that? Yeah, I think... So, and I think law is storytelling a lot. And I really, what I really liked about law school was hearing that the every single case is a story. And it's like, usually so you can sum it up in four lines and there's a learning point from it. And I found that very economical <laughs> and interesting. Basically it's shit's gone wrong and this is the law it established. Right. And that was kind of, um, I liked that. And I still think that I use that economy now in yeah. like, I think a, a pitch is very similar to a legal case. hundred um, percent. Yeah. So yeah. And then kind of, I was about to start my training contract, which is the two year kind of working rotation. And I got really sick. Um, I got what you call mononucleosis. <laughs> what do you guys call it? We call it glandular fever, like oh. the Victorians. Well, yeah. here it's called the here it's called the kissing disease. Right. Yeah. 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 Um <laughs> we're more down home, like, oh, you've been making out. Yeah, do you know? And I hadn't been making out, so I don't know. I still don't know where I got it from. Did you like lick a sink or something? Like Yeah, I don't I must have like licked a shopping trolley or something. Yeah. Um a pre-COVID activity. Yeah. Um, so I was actually ill for three years. Like, I mean, that's, I yeah, that'll, that'll, bed bound for a full year, didn't walk. It was like what Katie did, like, holy defining shit. moment of my life, I would say. So I didn't even, um, I were you single at the time or had you met your No, partner? I was with my now husband. I'd only known him for six months and basically and you're like, became disabled. Um, oh my so God. yeah, yeah. You did the worst of times first. I did. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of the worst of times. <laughs> um, like, let's see if you can handle this partner. Yeah, yeah, I know. Let's do the, the in sickness bit for three years. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, 
yeah I uh I wrote a novel because I couldn't I couldn't do anything I couldn't walk to the hall and pick up some post yeah um and I couldn't um I couldn't put on deodorant like one day the burglar alarm went off and I couldn't turn it off like I was completely incapacitated and then for the year following that I um should have had a wheelchair probably but didn't and sort of could go out and about but only for like half an hour yeah um and then I um I did recover and I started work as a lawyer um on some sort of phase return type thing um and yeah then I um I worked for a few years and then I got the flu relapsed and submitted my novel to agents because oh I felt God. I needed a plan B. Yeah. You are like a Victorian woman writer, like logistically yeah, in bed and like writing a bestseller. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, I know. I basically had like the vapors, like yeah. nobody really knew what was I mean, I don't mean to laugh, but now it's over. So it's a little funny. Like, holy shit, that could not be like if you saw that in a movie, you'd be like, that shit doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. It was real bum luck. And uh it's funny because years and years and years and years later, I went to see a rheumatologist and uh, he said I tested positive for lupus and he thinks that's what it was. No it's shit. now in remission. Like, I'm fine. I'm not on meds. It's fine. But um, yeah, they think it was probably lupus that was causing it all along, which may I did have quite a few of the hallmark symptoms, actually. But So meaning it was not mono or that lupus caused the mono? I think that mono triggered the lupus um because it's quite common for a virus to trigger an autoimmune condition interesting Um, yeah i know it's also um, one of those things like i had a heart thing a few years ago i mean a decade and i went through a year of tests and at the end my doctor the last specialist that i saw said this may resonate with you uh yeah we don't know what this is like we know how to test you for the things that will kill you this doesn't appear to be one of those we could crack you open and figure it out. That'll probably kill you. I'm guessing cancer will get you first. And I was like, I want all of my money back. Yeah, I, I so relate that whole, it's not deadly, so get on with it, kind of. Yeah. And I guess it's like, they just don't really have the answers. And I got my answer kind of a decade later. Yeah. My sister is a doctor, and she once said to me that, you know, there are not that many symptoms, like headaches, joint pain, fatigue, that could be hundreds of conditions yeah. um so it's not you know there's hardly ever a, a case where it's like i've got green spots on my arm and yeah. that's therefore this like it's yeah. not it's just quite vague so and you know it's interesting because i don't know a writer who hasn't had some sort of chronic illness um even if it's you know gallbladder pain or mm-hmm. <laughs> unexplained illnesses i think chronic illness is the bedfellow of people that perhaps don't take care of themselves very much so you do so you get out of the illness like you sort of come through and you wrote the book and you submitted that like while you were doing the lawyering stuff yeah so I was off sick you Uh, wrote it when you were sick and then submitted it when you came back so I wrote it while I was sick did nothing with it while I was healthy and working and then got the flu relapsed thought there's something fucking wrong with me and saw a promoted ad from the biggest literary agent in the UK and submitted it and he requested the full and I was like oh right and then he actually rejected it in the end but that was the start of I had a finished whip and interest so then I queried widely and um, I got a lot of personal rejections so then while I'm which is a really good sign yeah it was a good sign and I felt like I couldn't really squander that um so then you know, I'd already been writing while off sick, which is probably an unpopular employee move. So then while on my phase return, I wrote a whole book. Um, Another one. Agent. Yeah, a new one. Um, and then got an agent with that book. Um, and actually, she couldn't sell it. So I wrote another one. And that sold. <laughs> Was that so, the first one? Uh, yeah, no, no, no. So it was novel three. But um, I mean, is that the first one that the public knew is your book? Yeah, that's the yeah. debut. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, so it funny. funny because I only had one agent offer, one publisher offer, and it became a bestseller. So it just go, it does just go to show. Yeah. It's um, shit. Einstein was wrong. God does play dice with the universe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah, it's a crapshoot. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's really, it's interesting because almost without fail, I, on this program, I've interviewed almost 200 writers and almost nobody has written their first book in less than 10 years. And I mean the first published book. And if yeah. they haven't had other in the drawer, they've rewritten that one like four or five times. Yeah, yeah. And I write every book that I publish at least four times. Yeah. Like I'm a big rewriter. You have I, to. That's what writing book. is. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not a genius. I can't do it on draft one. Nobody. Nobody yeah. can. I, yeah. I have come to the realization that when people ask me, because I'm sure they do it with you, like, oh, how do you know if you're a writer? And I always tell them, have you rewritten your stuff from beginning to end? Mm. Like up until that point, you're just kind of journaling and putting thoughts down. But like, mm -hmm. if you, you know, it needs to be seen by somebody, not just you, you need mm -hmm. to have a revision and you need to read. Like if you read, revise and show people your stuff, I feel like you're a writer. Yeah, I think that's right. Cause there's a whole, I find it really interesting that there's the, the skill of coming up with a hook is very different to the skill of describing a room in prose. Yeah but they're both vital and I think to actually get all of the skills in one person it's probably quite unusual yeah and I think most writers have things that they're naturally better at yeah and I mean my writing partner and I you know I think he disagrees with this but that's because he's a nice guy he's a better writer than I am I'm a better storyteller like I grew up around campfires telling stories I can entertain mm -hmm. somebody off the cuff with no preparation I could tell you a 10 minute story that'll make you laugh Ask mm. me to write it, and you'll be like, "This is a little boring." <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah, so I think people have those different kinds of things, right? Like, yeah, I'm gonna ask you one process question. Like, are you the are you a dump, or are you a sit there and edit in your head and write it down right the first time? Like, edit oh, it five times. I'm a dump. Yeah, me too. Um, because <laughs> yeah. I, it's not even gonna be in the in the final draft. Yeah, like. I just write shit for like yeah. the best part of a year, really. And then I get my act together. Yeah. But the shit tell. is necessary. Yeah. Like it's part of it. And yeah. I wish you it dig through good. it and you're like, there's the one thing. Yeah. Like at some point in, in a first or a second draft, you write a line and you know what the novel's about. Yeah. Until you have that moment, you're just fucked. Um, yeah. It, which is actually where I'm at at the moment, um, which is not a very good place to be no. in, but there we are, I'm waiting. Yeah, <laughs> it, like John and I would go out in Berlin when we, because it was after our book came out and I'd go to visit. And like, he, we would sit in this cafe for like four hours and he'd get done. I'm like, what do you got? He's like, I got three paragraphs. I'm like, we were there four fucking hours. He's like, what do you got? I'm like, 14,000 words. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't think any of them are any good. <laughs> yeah. I know, I've basically been typing, like, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every rando crazy thought in my head. And then I just sort of free associate and allow it to happen. Yeah. And again, like he's a novelist now. I'm a nonfiction person, but it's creative nonfiction is still, you know, you have a little more some parameters, but like you have parameters in fiction too. Like you can make it up, but also the, you know, the world tells you what the world's going to do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is so true. That is so true. It's why I always think it's funny when people that want to write fiction are like, you can just make up whatever you want. I'm like, I don't think you understand how world building happens. Like it, you are just yeah. recording what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I think it's Stephen King who says it's like um, an excavation. Yeah. That really, that I really understand that because um, I feel like I am discovering it rather than inventing it. Yeah, I tell people when I write, I'm just, I'm, I am, there's a movie going on in my head that I am trying to get down on the page. Mm. And it's, it is never what I want it to be because that translation doesn't work, but it seems to work for people, mm. you know, but I always hate what it is. Cause I'm like, ah, the movie's up here so much better. Yeah. It's that whole, like you picture a castle and you, you, you put a shed down on the yeah. page. Like, it's that kind of like, and yeah. you have to accept that like as a, and you the, can't do anything else. I always tell young writers, people early in their career, writing is doing brain surgery with a butter knife. Because yeah. if I tell you, doesn't matter how I describe a lamppost, does not matter what I put on that page. The thing you see in your head is the lamppost that you know. Yeah. Yeah, 
that's so true. You know, and oh. I can say it's black and, you know, with a rounded light and the light is cascading across. But if yours was gray and stood straight up, that's the shit you're seeing in your yeah. head. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, what's the point? <laughs> yeah. The bastard. So the first book comes out and that's like, does pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very lucky that they've all been. I've had six Sunday Times bestsellers, so I'm very lucky, and I, I do kind of know that. That's not luck. Um, the first one may have had an element of luck, but... Yeah, I mean... If like, you write a shit second book, it ain't going to be there, and the third one certainly yeah. ain't going to be there. And I think it's kind of that thing of whole... Your, your publisher can work hard enough to get you onto the bestseller list, but they've got to like the book and believe in you to do so. And um, they can't do it five or six times because if it's not good, the public will stop believing. Yeah, that's so true. I always... um. This is I you being I, like, oh, no, it can't be my yeah. talent. It must be luck. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> yes, it is quite interesting, my relationship to it, because I do sort of understand the mechanism of it Sure. in terms of buy-in and retailers and stuff. But I think I do use that as a kind of reason why it's not actually me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We covered like this at the top of the show. Well. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm on the front table. Like, of course, people are buying me. Like, um, yeah. Um, but, but you but, know how word of mouth works. If it was terrible, you know how it works. It doesn't matter if it is yeah. on the front shelf. Like, it won't sell. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be eviscerated everywhere, both by traditional critics and the fucking assholes online. Yeah, that is so true. <laughs> yeah. You don't have yeah, to call them I assholes. Know. I will call them assholes. <laughs> oh, they definitely are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so once that happens, like once you, once you, the first, and then we'll, we'll sort of bring this to a close. Like once the first one hit the Sunday, but like, were you like, I'm out of this lawyer and thing? I actually went totally mad. Um, yeah. Totally predictably because I was pro probably quite an unhappy lawyer. I had a really difficult boss who was, I was her wingman. And then I very publicly made a lot of money doing another job, which is very taboo in like, in law, you're all in, you know, chain to the desk on a caffeine drip and all of that. Like, and I worked for a very corporate firm. Um, and so all of my problems were solved overnight when my book, hit the bestseller list because I knew that I would get enough money on my next deal to quit and I didn't need the day job um so I had all these neural pathways of worry <laughs> and nowhere to go so I well I developed panic disorder is what yeah. I did to celebrate um yeah. I call this <laughs> the trauma of success like we oh don't God, talk about yeah I mean I've had enough people on this show if your first book hits it fucks you up absolutely for yes. so many reasons right like yeah and i don't the, believe the it happened what comes next yeah yeah like and what like, were yours i think so i was in therapy in at the time with the the guy who was opaque oh shit and <laughs> he, i know right and he said to me i was really like you know I'm ignoring about leaving my job and you know I trained for years and it was sort of the golden handcuffs like it paid well and and he said well who are you are you a lawyer or a writer fuck I, I know <laughs> I, I was like oh I'm, I'm actually just about to jump off a cliff actually yeah That's I'm gonna I'm. get up and leave this conversation yeah. right now and <laughs> I said I'm a writer like without thought but that question really changed the course of my life because that was the moment where I thought what am I doing? And I think it was that profound identity shift. Plus I did go part-time and then eventually quit. Plus all of my problems were solved. Plus a kind of, I think probably an anxious belief that things can be too good to be true. Yeah. Um, Got to pay it back, all of that. And I, yeah, I, I lost two stone. I couldn't eat. I couldn't Are sleep. Are you kidding me? Yeah, and I didn't have it. I've put it back on, and I, I didn't have it to lose. Like I was going to say, like, I don't like to talk about women's appearance, yeah, but, but, like, that I'm is super, a lot of weight to lose. Yeah, yeah, like, I was eight stone, and I got to six stone. Like, <sighs> it was really serious, uh, just because of adrenaline. Like, yeah. I felt like there was a tiger in the room. You weren't sleeping time. either. 
no like yeah. I was and I was still working because I didn't know what was wrong with me yeah um so I, I got into CBT uh with a, a pragmatic therapist who was like okay like we need to like be in the here and now we're not going to talk about who you are we're going to talk about you know yeah what a panic attack is and I got better but yeah I think um That's I mean good. there's this um yeah, there's this uh, essay by uh, Jessie Burton, who is a British author. Uh, she wrote The Miniaturist. Uh-huh. And it's it's called um, Success and the Sense of Self, something like that. She wrote it on her website. And she basically said success is as fracturing as failure because you realise that it's a mirage. And when you get there, there's no, you know, there's no water in the desert. There's nothing there. And it's kind of real what now? Like I yeah. literally achieved my life goal in a day. And I was like, I think that's what it was really. It's like yeah. existentialism. I, again, as a poor kid coming out of Appalachia, when I was 26, I was at Wired Magazine in 1999 at the height of all of this stuff. Like, and mm. I wrote about entertainment, Napster. Like I was read by millions of people every day uh, like that was an ill-equipped ill-equipped i think i might have been 28 or 29 when that happened 20 27 i was 27 mm. second year of graduate school so i had to like go to this top graduate school in the evening and do this at night and i ended up leaving i ended up quitting because mm. i was not fucking ready for that level of publicness yeah. And when you write for a magazine, particularly when it wired, they could click on your name. I'd, I used to call it asshole coffee. Every morning I'd show up and there'd be about 150 <laughs> to 200 people that email me like, you're a fucking asshole. Yeah. And I replied to everybody very nicely. I'm going to say things like, since we don't know each other, if you could refer to me as Mr. Asshole, that'd be great. Like, I appreciate your reading. And like 90% oh. of it would email back and be like, oh my God, I didn't know somebody was going to read this. I, you know, my girlfriend yelled at me or I got fired and I was just mad. Wow. And, and you read like, that was my first indication that like that shit happening. And, and I'd been online since 1984, but like the success of being read was a thing I always wanted to do. But then yeah. the pain that comes to you from yeah. that, it shows up in so many ways yeah. is debilitating. And I couldn't take that anymore. Yeah. Some and of like it's detrolic, but some of it's not. No, but it all feels that way. <laughs> yeah. And if I ever write back to people, I definitely get the impression, good and bad, that they didn't think that it was going to get read. No. And and when you become a public figure, no matter how minor, you're making a trade, but you don't know it and you can't <laughs> consent to it. Yeah. And you can't take it back. Yeah. But like my life is forever changed. And I used my proper name you know I didn't know that I was doing a deal with the devil in a way because yeah. I can't just say what I think on Twitter anymore I have a big blue tick and a big following and I can't just talk about politics anymore yeah. and you know it's it is a it's there's definitely a what you get with one hand t takes with the other like you're definitely making a bargain and you don't know it yeah and um, that's the mirage right like yeah I mean, I told people like I fought my whole life just being a poor kid to get where I got to. And I got to Wired and I looked around and I didn't have any relationships. Most of the people I grew up with, I didn't talk with anymore. I mean, I talk to them now, but like to do that, I fought and suddenly I looked and I'm like, what the fuck have I fought to get here for? Yeah. What is the thing that I get out of this other than I thought this was a thing? Yeah. And it's that it's that mistake that humans make all the time, which is if I have lots of money and lots of followers, I won't have problems. And I know that Taylor Swift has problems. <laughs> but in my kind of emotional mind, I sort of feel like, yeah, but I bet it's really great. But in my rational mind, I'm like, she can't get a fucking cup of coffee right. without being followed. It would be awful. But we all still kind of want to do it and yeah. then when you're one of the rare people that achieves not that level but some degree of notoriety you then understand the trade you made yeah um but yeah and nobody nobody will give you any sympathy for it either no which i think is an, an added layer of toxicity because people have you in that box of yeah. you've got everything i want yeah um, it's i used to tell people like when i left like 
I would get introduced as Brad from Wired. I'm like, I don't think anybody knew what my name was. They thought my name was from Wired, right? And it is different, but like I did TV and I did radio and stuff like that. And I I got invited to places. I dated a woman once and on New Year's Eve, I didn't want to go out. And she literally, it was our last day we dated. We'd been dating for like six months. She said, the only reason I'm dating you is because we get to go to all these places. Like we're going out tonight. And that was the first moment. And I was a tiny, minor, little figure in a thing. Like I had no, like I had like internet tech fame before that was a thing. And I, I was like, holy shit. Like, how do you, like, how do people that deal with this stuff? And I'm sure you deal with it. I don't ever believe that anybody has a good intention when they're talking to me. Like I was like, you're always, there's an angle. Yeah. Like you've actually, you've commoditized yourself. Yeah. And I, yeah, I had a little problem recently here where I live in a tiny village and it sort of got out that, I mean, my book this summer, my book went to number one. So it was extremely high profile. The new one. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, so it's been a month at number one. So wow. wow. I know. And <laughs> some people here, I think I ha- I had always been very open about what I did. I've never really lied about it, although I do now. <laughs> and you know, I was like, oh, I, you know, I'm a writer, I wrote this book, blah, blah, blah. And then when it got really high profile, those people told their friends and those people told their friends. And suddenly yeah. I couldn't walk my dog without people being like, oh, you're the you're the writer. And I went through a real like hard time in August because I was thinking like, will I ever make a friend again, actually? And I messaged um, this guy I know who is my um, my sister's husband's cousin, so kind of a, a distant relative. And <laughs> he's a, a, a big name actor. And he said something so profound to me. He said, when you're in the public eye, you never meet anyone again because they know who you are before yeah. you know who they are. And it's true, like if I go to a barbecue, even if people that haven't read my novels, they know that an author's coming. Yeah. Um, and it is that, I mean, it's like I say, it is a, a deal you do with the devil. Yeah. And I'd still do it, but I would definitely, I don't know. I don't know what I'd do differently. I don't, I don't know if you can do anything differently, really. No, but I'd I mean, it is why most of my friends are writers. Like I have a group of people that I knew before I had the career who mm-hmm. I love, you know, my godchildren, like all those people. And they don't give a fuck what I do. Like they don't, mm-hmm. you know, they don't care. But most of the people that I hang out with are writers because I know, look, I don't need same. anything from you, right? You don't need anything from me. Like, yeah. And it's like, yeah. And it's like, it's look, true. man, like, uh, I, we understand the game. And, uh, yeah. and, yeah, and they can say to you, you know, what does your agent think? And that you can't really say that to a normal person. Like they wouldn't right. understand that as a right. transaction. Um, but also like, I would never come up to you and be like, Hey, I got this draft. Will you send this along? Like, I know how the business works. Like that's some bullshit. Yeah, like, what are you talking you, like, about? <laughs> bring a book to the park and want me to sign it. Cause you don't care. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I know it is. Um, I, I, I mean, I got married only a couple of weeks ago and, um, Congratulations. Oh, thanks. Um, and I had four friends. It was a tiny wedding because COVID and, you know, yeah. it's like just bullshit. But um, yeah, I had four friends. I feel there. like you've used COVID to be like, I can't be around anybody. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't attend, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I had four friends there and three were writers. And it, yeah. was, uh, it was quite illuminating to me because, you know, I'm published from 2017. So relatively recently. Yeah. But even in that time, my three closest friends are authors. It. Um, you know, I had my heyday 99 to 2004, 2005, like as I was at Wired, I was at MIT's Technology Review. When I was at Wired, I've told the story on the show, you, people could sign up for your newsletter so they could individually sign up for what you write. I had like a million people that signed up to get it at any time I wrote something it showed up in their box. I am so fucking happy that I did not get to bring those people with me when I left. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, it was yeah. traumatic as somebody who was not prepared for that who both had emotional anxiety that was not diagnosed, that had depression that was not diagnosed, mm-hmm. that is a white dude in America that's never been told to calm the fuck down, right? Yeah. Like, I am so glad that I had the chance to, like, be able to go away and, like, get therapy and, like, just put my shit together and be like, okay. Like, so to come of age now, to, to get that level of fame today when you are not afforded that level, I have such a, like empathetic heart I'm less like oh my god that's I don't know how you do it well I mean I I didn't I didn't eat like I didn't yeah. cope yeah. um 
but I think. But you're doing it now, like you've made it through at least for now. I'm definitely, I have been like forged by it. And now I'm, I was an open book um, and now I am guarded. Yeah, Um, except for today. (laughs) Just like oversharing for an hour and a half, yeah. Um, But I think now I would be cynical about what somebody wanted from me, which is not a place that I really like being in, but it is necessary for my protection. Yeah, because... Even today, like, and I, I interact less and less in, in that sort of outer world. But like, whenever I feel myself getting too comfortable, I'm going to New York City and I'm going to see a play of a woman I had on the show and I'm bringing a bunch of writers who I interviewed who I like, some of them who are actually friends before all of this stuff. Mm. And I have to remind myself, like, don't have a few drinks and start saying what you really think. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> because even the writers, they're colleagues, really. Um, Unless uh, the ones that are my friends are my friends. Yeah. Yeah. Like the ones that I know, like who I've known for 20 years are my friends, but the other ones, and I don't know who's going to be around. Yeah. You know? Yeah, And like, if your books are out on the same day, they don't fucking want the best for you. (laughs) Like it just, that's the world we live in. (laughs) See, And this is the joy of doing this show because, because I'm old and because I had my career and I've chosen to do this, I get to be everybody's, cheerleader like I love writers right and I get to be like man I believe that the world is really truly more like the sky than a piece of pie right like pie is limited and so anytime a piece gets taken somebody else is mad but if you look up at the sky and I look up at the sky we both get to enjoy that because it's unlimited it's like abundance theory isn't it yeah Yeah. Yeah. and so I am happy to be at the point in my career I'm like yeah yeah I'll I'm a good storyteller I'm never going to be a bestseller but I get to champion people that are people that self-publish all of that stuff. And it's great. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's such a nice, I think that's like a real adult position to have arrived in that you don't need the external validation now. Ah, No, that's the nice thing about, I tell people I'm at the top of the roller coaster. So I'm like the, the anticipation is over. Now I'm just hurtling towards oblivion. It's really easy to be like, yeah, I don't give a shit anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Like you kind of, you, yeah, you don't you don't have so much to lose. Like I sort of admire that. Uh, that's a position of strength, really. Yeah, you'll get there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you are an absolute joy to talk to. I appreciate you spending so much time with me today, including what we did so not welcome. record. Um, uh, uh, that night is out now. It's been out since July, right? And it's America, yeah, North America. It's everywhere. So my last release in America was called The Choice, and my next is my next book, which is called Wrong Place, Wrong Time. So that's coming from William Morrow next year. Wow. Yeah. That's exciting. Um, and what was the one over there? What was the one that was on the Sunday? Uh, so that's that night, which okay. Um, yeah, but we can order that from Waterstones here. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah. I get, <laughs> I tell my people you can order from England. They'll. Sh- I, mean, I don't know how the boats are shipping these days, but like, I. In <laughs> Who fact, knows? Yeah. I don't know. Do you, I don't know if you know Louise Fine, but like, I just got Louise Fine's latest book. Oh, so I see. Yeah. I get them sent over from Waterstones all the time. Oh, we appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> well, you have a good rest of your evening, and uh, thank you for this. And I hope we get to chat again soon. And I hope when I come to England, like that we can maybe try to see each other in real life. If you come, yeah, Yeah. we'll go for a drink in Northampton. Well, there you have it. That was our first interview back with Gillian McAllister. Her book, Wrong Place, Wrong Time, is out in the UK now. Just came out. If you're here in America, go to Waterstones, or you can pre-order it. I think it's out in August. And... Uh, since this one was in the can so long, that night, her last book is out everywhere. So you can two for one right now. It was delightful for me to listen to that again, uh, which is a weird thing to say, but I've been away from it so long that uh, it was nice to sit back in and hear a conversation with writers. I forgot how much I enjoyed doing that. I mean, it's a lot of work to put this program together. It's just me. Um, you know, I got a day job. And there are days that I'm like, gosh, I don't really want to do this. And then I go back and listen, or I do these interviews, and I'm like, oh, this is kind of fun. Um, so I hope you had the same experience. And if not, I'm telling myself that you did. Before we get out of here, just a couple reminders. Uh, if you like what you heard, do us those two favors I talked about at the top of the show. First of all, tell your friends that we're back. Spread the word. Just pick one or two writer 
reader friends that you got and send them the show. Tell them to listen to it. That'll help us a lot. If you're listening through Apple, head over to uh, Apple Podcasts and leave us a written review and stars. It'd be super. You can also go to Facebook, leave us a review there. That's super helpful. Or you can go to writersjam.com and leave us that review there. Don't forget, uh, I am part of the Solid Listen Podcast Network. And I think there's like 12 or 13 shows now. Uh, they're pop culture, fun. Um, you should go explore those and check them out. It's just they're nice people doing fun stuff. Uh, the flagship program, Mother Mass Sleep with Podcast, is hosted by our Solid Listen Podcast queen and uh, the founder of The Feast, Molly McLear. Don't forget, the jam comes out every Wednesday. We also have jam sessions in the after party, which will be out soon. All of those wrapped up right around here on this podcast channel. So if you're subscribed, you'll never miss anything that we do. And remember, you can always catch us on Twitter and Instagram at The Writer's Jam. Until the next time, I will see you around the internet. A well-told story has the power to transport you to places you've never been. And if you enjoy books and travel, you are going to love our podcast, Strong Sense of Place. I'm Mel. And I'm Dave. Every two weeks, we get curious about one destination and discuss five great books that took us there on the page. We start with an overview of what makes that place different than anywhere else on Earth. And then we tackle a round of two truths and a lie to explore stories behind that place. But the heart of our show is our book recommendations. We share why we love each title with no spoilers. Take an imaginary trek with us through Iceland, sip Uzo in Athens, or virtually ride the rails on an epic train adventure. Strong Sense of Place was featured in Apple's Top 10 Podcasts for the Arts. If you love books and travel, come along with us. Listen to Strong Sense of Place on your favorite app or visit us at strongsenseofplace.com.